0: Welcome my friends. Welcome once again to this week's podcast. This week we'll be talking about who is the greatest. A tough question. From Muhammad Ali all the way to our present government structure, people have been foisting upon us the knowledge that they or someone they love is the greatest and we're left to try to sort through those pieces and understand who really is the greatest. We might even ask ourselves the question, who is the greatest in God's eyes? Well, that's the question we'll tackle today, who is the greatest? And we'll hear it in a hymn, and we'll also understand it from the viewpoint of Christ when he talks to his disciples at a particularly important tipping point in their lives. When they are arguing among themselves who is the greatest, Jesus rises to the occasion and gives them an answer that shall we say, they least expect. So, today we'll be talking about who is the greatest. Our call to worship is a lovely setting of the hymn, Holy God, We Praise Thy Name, which in German is "Großer Gott, wir Loben Dich. It's a Christian hymn, and it's started off by the German Catholic priest Ignaz Franz, who wrote the original German lyrics in 1771 as a paraphrase of an ancient Christian hymn called Te Diem. Due to its memorable melody and theme, it's one of the most popular hymns and is usually prevalent in many German-speaking communities. One of the sidebars that I almost hate to mention is the song became a part of military hymn books back in 1939 to 1940, And the Evangelical Church of 1939, which was heavily influenced by the Nazis in Germany, added a concluding verse, which praised the Fuhrer Adolf Hitler. The hymnal of the so-called German Christians was named after the song and contained a version which was, and I quote, purified of Jewish elements and adjusted to the Nazi ideology. Well, be that as it may as horrible as that sounds the original hymn still exists holy god we praise thy name and it's a wonderful hymn and this is a beautiful setting so let's call ourselves to worship with our worship leader and music director belinda as she plays this setting on the piano holy god we praise thy name Scripture reading today comes from the ninth chapter of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, a gospel I always appreciate because Mark doesn't have too many frills in his gospel. He just tells the story as factually and as simply as he can. So in the Gospel of Mark, in the ninth chapter, we get this story of the disciples and Jesus traveling on a journey to Capernaum. And on the way, on the journey to Capernaum, the disciples are talking among themselves. So that's where our scripture text begins, with the 33rd verse. Then they all came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then Jesus took a little child and put the child among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. Our hymn today is written by Natalie Sleeth. From time to time, a choral anthem might inspire a hymn, and such is the case with this one, which was originally called Hymn of Promise. It was first conceived as an anthem in 1985 and performed at the Pasadena Community Church in St. Petersburg, Florida, during a festival, which was a series of concerts, all including Natalie Sleeth's music. She's long been known as a composer of anthems, especially for children. Natalie Sleeth, who died in 1992, contributed one of the favorite new hymns to most of our hymnals. She was a native of Evanston, Illinois, began to study piano at the age of four, and gained much of her experience by singing in choral ensembles during her earlier years, both in church and in school. She studied music theory, piano and organ at Wellesley College in Massachusetts, and she married a United Methodist minister, and the two of them collaborated for many of the lyrics and tunes of her hymns. She is credited, Natalie Sleeth, with authoring more than 200 choral works for all different ages. And today's hymn, which is officially called the Hymn of Promise, is often called In the Bulb There is a Flower, because that's the metaphors that she uses for hope. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoon a promise of a butterfly that will be set free. So here is today's hymn, Hymn of Promise, or In the Bulb There is a Flower, by Natalie Sleeth.
1: winter, there's a spring uh, that waits to be unrevealed until it's season, something God alone can see. There's a song in every silence, seeking word and melody. The future, what it holds, a mystery, unrevealed until it sees something God alone can see. In our end is our beginning, in our time, infinity. pressure love
0: the theology of this song by Natalie Sleeth. The theology that we are surrounded by so many metaphors that could really help us understand the way that God sees the world and the way that God sees us. Surrounded by metaphors like we have around us a seed that looks like it's dead and certainly bears no resemblance to an apple tree and yet when you plant it in the ground and nurture it it becomes the very apple tree itself. It has within it the coding, the DNA coding, of what an apple tree is, but it doesn't look like that. The same as a bulb that can produce a flower, you often plant these bulbs in the fall, just before winter, and then in the spring, they come up on their own, and they're a beautiful flower, Or or a cocoon that looks like something crawled in and died, but instead, a caterpillar has crawled in, and has metamorphosized, has changed into a whole new creature and a butterfly emerges that doesn't look much of anything like the caterpillar that crawled in. The cold and snow of winter waits for a spring that changes everything. And then later in the song when it talks about sometimes there's a dawn in every darkness. The past creates our future even though it's a mystery. And then the last verse which deals with the very issue of life and death. In our end is our beginning. In our time, we can find infinity. In our doubt, there is believing. In our life, eternity. In our death, a resurrection. At the last, a victory. And all these things, these metaphors for the way in which God sees things, are summed up in the chorus that repeats every time. Unrevealed. All these things are unrevealed until its season. Something God alone can see. Well, today's scripture passage is all about something that God alone can see. And it's the greatness of each of us. God alone seems to be the one who can see this greatness. Now, I don't pretend to know God's ways like the psalmist and the prophets before me. I think God's ways are so far removed from my ways, I can't hope to understand them all. I don't know if I'm as removed as the north is from the south and the east is from the west, like the psalmist and the prophets say, but I suspect that's my feelings. I don't pretend to know God's ways, but I do know that there have been people, individuals through history that knew God's ways so well they taught us, and certainly Christ, Jesus Christ, was one of those, a person who really understood God's ways. And in his teaching today, it's all about who is the greatest. Now the scripture passage is a simple one. The disciples and Jesus are on a path, on a road, and they're going to the town of Capernaum. And on the way, as they're walking, they're of course talking among themselves. What groups of people don't talk among themselves when they walk on a journey like this many, many miles? And while they're talking, Jesus must have been separated from them because when they arrive at Capernaum, he asks them, What were you all talking about back there as we were walking along the way? Well, the disciples are pretty sheepish. They don't really want Jesus to know what they were talking about, and so they clam up. They don't say anything. The scripture text says they were silent, and the reason they were silent, it's because they were arguing among themselves which one of them is the greatest. Can you imagine they're in the presence of Jesus and they have the gall to argue among themselves which one of us disciples is the most important, which one of us is the smartest, which one of us is the strongest, which one of us is his favorite. We're arguing among ourselves which one of us is the greatest. Well, Jesus puts an end to it right away, and he does so in such a beautiful way. When he knows that they've been talking about which one of them is the greatest, he asks a young child nearby to come and stand in the middle of them. And as he puts the young child in the middle of them, he takes the child up in his arms, which might be my favorite part. He takes the child up in his arms and he says, If you truly want to be great... You have to become like one of these children. If you truly want to be the first, you have to be the last. If you truly want to be the leader, the master, you need to be a servant to all. In this day and age, we are literally bombarded with concepts of who is the greatest. Just look at some of the commercials around us. You can look at a commercial And each one of them tells you that their product is the greatest of all time. If you want to clean your bathtub, if you want to clean your sink, this is the greatest cleaner of all time. If you want to drink this soda or drink this water, or it's amazing that water can be the greatest water. But every commercial item tries to purport to each of us that it's the greatest of all time. And we're bombarded with this constantly. What about athletes? Athletes are constantly touted as the greatest of all time. We even made up a word for it, G-O-A-T, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Maybe it's Tiger Woods in golf, or it's Michael Jordan or LeBron James in basketball, Maybe you go way back if you're old enough and you tout people who are like Mickey Mantle or Sandy Colfax or Babe Ruth in baseball as the greatest of all time. And most people, when they list hockey players, will list Wayne Gretzky, who is often touted as the greatest of all time. Even in game shows on TV, we have the greatest of all time, Jeopardy! a couple of seasons ago. Jeopardy! The Game Show had a competition to determine who's the greatest of all time. They brought back three contestants who were allegedly the best who had ever played, and they played each other, and they crowned one of them, Ken Jennings, as the greatest of all time. Go back to the early part of my life, and you'll find Muhammad Ali boxing in the boxing ring, the greatest of all time. He called himself that. I am the greatest, he proclaimed. And then we get to the present age with politicians all over the world, literally, claiming to be the greatest of all time or achieving the greatest things of all time. Look at Putin, the great president of Russia, who claimed to have a vaccine before anyone else. And then as he began to be probed about whether the vaccine was available, he hemmed and hawed, and we found out there really wasn't a vaccine. He was touting himself as the greatest of all time. Or Boris Johnson from England, who touted himself as the greatest of all time. We had the best response to the coronavirus, he said. We have been able to keep the infection rate down so low, I don't even have to wear a mask. And all that made him look like the greatest of all time, at least in his own mind and his own eyes, until he got the coronavirus himself. And I've noticed recently that he's speaking in a very different way these days and making sure we understand that wearing masks is a pretty important thing. It's funny how getting the coronavirus can change your mind like that or in our own country. Look at the senators and the congress people who are constantly talking about what they've done is the greatest this or the greatest that, or presidents throughout the last few decades are always touting what they have done is the greatest thing that could possibly be done. All of these things are bombarding us constantly, that the world has among us right now the greatest of all time, and yet, god has an entirely different concept of what is the greatest of all time and we learn that from the teaching of jesus today the greatest of all time is service to others if you want to be the greatest you need to serve other people if you want to be the best you need to be the last put yourself beneath other people put other people before yourselves it's service to others and finally near the end of his life Jesus demonstrated this in a very real way. He took off his outer garment, he knelt before the disciples, he took a basin of water and he washed their feet. The greatest servant you could possibly do, the greatest servanthood you could possibly do to another human being, kneel down before them and wash their feet. And as he rose from doing so, he said, You call me master, and that is true because that is what I am. And if I, your master, would kneel down and wash your feet, you ought to do the same for one another. Oh, I know. The world is bombarding us with who is the greatest of all time. Television and media Social media, newsprint media, everything constantly bombards us with who is the greatest of all time, what's the greatest movie, who's the greatest actor, and we're heading into awards season these days. Now granted, the award season won't be like it has been in the past because of COVID-19, but with the Emmys and the BAFTA awards and the Golden Globes and the Oscars, we'll be once again trying to tout Who is the greatest of all time? And that greatness will be compared to other people in our society about how great they are. And yet God speaks in the middle of all of this touting of greatness to help us understand that greatness is nothing like that. Greatness is serving other people. Greatness is putting others before yourself. Greatness is subjugating yourself to other people so that you might reach out to them in kindness and service. And we know that in our hearts. Look at some of the people that we have lifted up as great in the past few decades. Mother Teresa comes to mind in Calcutta, who certainly lowered herself to become a servant to all. We look at some of the popes through the years who have certainly lowered themselves to become a servant to all. We look at some of our great leaders who have found themselves humbling themselves in order to be great in other people's eyes, not because they wanted to be great, but because they wanted to serve other people. No, God's eyes are very clear on this issue. In the words of Jesus, if you truly want to be great, you need to humble yourself, you need to lower yourself, and raise everyone up around you and be a servant to all to be truly great. So, I want to leave you with a story of Sam Rayburn. Now, Sam Rayburn was a very influential man in his time, but it's been long enough ago, most of us might not remember. Sam Rayburn was an American politician who served as the 43rd Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. He was a three-time House Speaker, a former House Majority Leader, two-time House Minority Leader, and a 24-term Congressman representing Texas' 4th Congressional District, as a Democrat from 1913 to 1961. He holds numerous records in Congress. He holds the record for the longest tenure as Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, serving for over 17 years. He won election to the United States House of Representatives in 1912 and continually won re-election until his death in 1961. He served 25 terms in all. Along with then-Senate Majority Leader Lyndon Johnson, who would eventually become president, as you know, Rayburn refused to sign the 1956 Southern Manifesto and helped shepherd to passage the Civil Rights Acts, both of 1957 and 1960, the first civil rights bills ever passed by the U.S. Congress since the Reconstruction era, right after the Civil War. Now, as the Speaker of the House, Sam Rayburn wielded incredible power and prestige. He was, at the time, third in the line of succession to the presidency, right behind the president and the vice president. Well, here's the story, and you can find this in his own memoir. One day, he found out that the teenage daughter of a reporter friend of his had tragically and suddenly died. Early the next morning, Sam Rayburn knocked on the door of his friend who was a reporter. When the door opened, Rayburn asked if there was anything he could do. His friend, so surprised to see him there, stammered and replied, I don't, I don't think there's anything you can do. We're making all the arrangements. And Sam Rayburn replied, well, have you had your coffee this morning? No, we haven't had time, said the grieving man. Well, said the Speaker of the House, at least I can make the coffee. As he watched the powerful man stride past him into his kitchen and make the coffee for the family, the father suddenly remembered something. As a reporter, he had learned that that day Sam Rayburn had an appointment with the president that he was supposed to cover. Of course, he wouldn't be covering it because of the death of his daughter. So he said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. And Sam Rayburn replied, well, I was. But I called the president and I told him. I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come today. I'm telling you, being a servant to others, humbling yourself and allowing yourself to be used in kindness and support to someone else is true greatness. Let's pray together. Loving God, you humble us every day but you humble us by lifting us up in humility. You teach us through the voice of Jesus, the living Christ, that the greatest is the one who will lower themselves, lift other people up, and humbly serve them with all their heart and mind and soul and strength. Thanks for this lesson. And teach us to be humble and to therefore be the greatest of all time. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, the podcast has come to an end. It is a time to remember who we are if we want to become great. And so I remind you, in God's eyes, there is potential. Potential in a seed that is planted, a bulb that is put in the ground. Potential in the cocoon of a caterpillar. Potential in the darkness to someday be light potential in the midst of winter to morph itself into spring potential and we have that potential too to be the greatest of all time may we go in peace going out to serve others in all humility as i offer this prayer may the road rise to meet you may the wind be always at your back may the sun shine warm upon your face May the rains fall soft upon your fields. And may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God will hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Amen. My friends, the service here is ended. May we go in peace. Amen.